The first lesson, which will also be the text for the sermon, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 to 24. After these events, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. The illness became worse until he stopped breathing. Then she said to Elijah, What is the issue between us, man of God? Have you come to remind me of my sins and to kill my son? He said to her, Bring your son to me. Then he took him and carried him to the upstairs room where he was living, and he laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you sent tragedy on this woman with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's soul return to his body. The Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's soul returned to his body, and he came to life. Then Elijah took the boy and brought him down to the house from his upstairs room, and he gave him to his mother. Elijah said, See, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Last Sunday, before the reading of the first lesson, you were informed that that Bible story from last week was going to lead directly into the first lesson and the sermon text for this week, and that this week's Bible story was going to start with the phrase, after these events. So, do you remember these events from last week? Do you remember the Bible story that leads directly into the text for today's sermon. Well, in case you weren't here last week because you were ill or you were out of the area, or maybe the old memory just ain't what she used to be, here are, here's a quick recap of these events from last week that lead right into this week's story. It's basically the story of God rescuing the lives of three of his people, a prophet, a widow, and her daughter. The, the, the Lord had commanded his prophet named Elijah to go to the wicked king of Israel, whose name was Ahab. And the Lord's command to Elijah was to go to this wicked king Ahab and announce to him that as a punishment for his wickedness and all the wickedness of Israel, the Lord was going to send a massive drought on the country that would result in a terrible famine. So Elijah did that, and then very wisely, he ran for his life from king Ahab. And he hid out in a ravine where the Lord miraculously fed him. But finally, the stream dried up, and Elijah was left really with nothing to eat, nothing to drink, and nowhere to go. So the Lord told his prophet Elijah where to go next. And it must have come as some surprise. He was supposed to travel all the way up to a Gentile country called Sidon, to a little village called Zarephath. And the Lord was going to do some legwork for Elijah. He was going to command a believing widow in that little town of Zarephath to take care of him after he arrived. So Elijah listened to orders, and he got up and he made this long journey, probably wondering all the way there, why do I have to travel so far? <laughs> why do I have to go all the way outside of Israel to find somebody who believes in the Lord who is going to take care of me? Once he finally gets there, though, the widow of Zarephath, she informs Elijah that she has very little food left. When Elijah asks her for a piece of bread, this is the heartbreaking answer that she gives him. 
See, I am gathering a couple of sticks so that I can go prepare it for myself and my son that we can eat it and then die. So you've got these three believers, a prophet, a widow, and her son, who are facing starvation. And then the Lord speaks through his prophet and tells the widow, do not be afraid. He promises her that her tiny supply of food will miraculously last through the end of the famine and the end of the drought. And then, in what I think is the most impressive miracle in the whole story, the widow believes it. And she proves that she believes it by feeding Elijah, this stranger she has just met. She feeds him first out of her little supply of food before she feeds herself and her son. But then they all just keep on eating and eating and eating until the drought is finally over, just as the Lord promised. So that's these events from last week that lead into the events from this week. Because the story of the prophet Elijah, the widow of Zarephath and her son, does not end there. It seems that the widow has allowed Elijah to stay upstairs in her house. That seems pretty fair, doesn't it? Miraculously saved the life of myself and my son, and you can sleep upstairs. You hope she didn't charge him too much rent either. But then the story does take a, a sad turn. The, the son of the widow, and it seems he's probably still a small boy, his health takes a turn for the worse, and the, the way it's described, it paints this picture of kind of a slow, painful, downhill slide for the health of this little boy until he stopped breathing. And then the widow, with her faith so strong, faith strong enough to feed Elijah first before she feeds herself and her own son, she proves that no matter how strong a faith is, no sinner's faith is perfect. Then she said to Elijah, what is the issue between us, man of God? Have you come to remind me of my sins and to kill my son? Now that accusatory question is definitely pointing the finger of blame directly at Elijah. But she is not just blaming Elijah with that question. She is also blaming Elijah's boss. Because she calls Elijah the man of God. And the name of God that she uses, Elohim, that is the name that preaches God's sovereign power over all things. God's divine control of everything in the universe. So, your God, Elijah, who has power over everything, if he wanted to, he could have stopped this tragedy. If he wanted to, he could have stepped in and made sure this didn't happen, but he didn't. So it's not just you I'm blaming, it's him too. Now before we get to the happy part of the story, and I promise it's coming, but first, let's get even sadder. Why not, right? We're already sad. Let's get sadder. Did you know there is someone in the Bible who had to face something worse than the widow of Zarephath? And you're probably thinking, impossible. There is nothing in the universe worse than the death of a child. While he was still speaking, another servant came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their oldest brother. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it collapsed on the young people. And they died. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. 
Do you recognize where that's from? It's from the first chapter of Job, where Job has to confront not one death of one child, but ten deaths of ten children all at once. But when that happens, Job does not blame God. The very last verse of Job chapter 1 says, In all this, Job did not blame God. What did Job do instead? He praised the name of the Lord. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped. Then he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What's the difference between the widow of Zarephath and Job? They do have a lot in common. And they have to confront the death of a child. They are both filled with mourning and with grief. You can, you can hear it in the widow's question of Elijah. And you can see it in Job's actions. He shaves his head and tears his clothes, which in the Old Testament was a sign of grief and mourning. But what is the difference? Why does one of them blame God while the other one praises the name of the Lord? Well, Job who praises the name of the Lord, he sees a resurrection. The widow, who blames God, does not. Not yet, at least. People die because sin is fatal. And we have to be careful to explain that a little bit. It's not that when someone dies, God is taking a swing at them or someone in the family for some past sin that they have committed. And you kind of get the sense that's the way the widow of Zarephath was thinking when her little boy died, that God was somehow punishing her for something she had done wrong in the past. Have you come to remind me of my sins and to kill my son? You shouldn't try to connect specific sin to a specific death. But what we can do, what we have to do, is connect sin in general to death in general, because that is a connection that God definitely makes in his word, very clearly. Passages that say the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will die. But God also tells us in his word that he has answered our sin and death with life. Elijah said to her, bring your son to me. Then he took him and carried him to the upstairs room where he was living and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God. Now remember, the widow called God by the name of Elohim, the name that proclaims God's power and his control. Elijah calls God by that name too, but he also calls him by the name the Lord, Yahweh. That name Yahweh preaches the Lord's gracious love his faithfulness to his promises, his compassion for people who are suffering. And that name of the Lord, Yahweh, it also proclaims that God is life because it is built off of the verb to be. It teaches that God is changeless and eternal, unchanging and undying. And Elijah, he calls that God the Lord of grace, the Lord of compassion and faithfulness, the Lord of life, he calls him my God. Now really, 
only when that Lord is your God, could you then make a request like this, O Lord, my God, let this boy's soul return to his body. The Lord listened to Elijah's voice, and the boy's soul returned to his body, and he came to life. The Lord, our God, is the God of life. He is the God who gives life even to the dead. The widow of Zarephath, it's her God too. And in the end, she also praises the name of the Lord because now she has seen the full truth of it. That widow whose faith was so badly shaken by her son's death, now she has seen that the Lord is life, that he is resurrection. So she too praises the name of the Lord. And it's very interesting and important that when Job's ten children died, the Bible does not say he praised the name of God, that he praised the name of power and control. It says Job praised the name of the Lord because Job also believed in our God, the Lord who brings life even to the dead. See, this is what makes it possible for all of the Lord's people to praise his name even when death comes to a believer. He is resurrection and life. Now Job, he didn't get to see a resurrection quite the same way as the widow of Zarephath. He didn't get to see a resurrection with his physical eyes. But Job saw a resurrection in his soul. Through the eyes of faith, Job looked through the years and he prophesied the resurrection of his own Savior. And in that Savior, he saw a resurrection for himself and all of the Savior's people. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the end of, the at the end of time, he will stand over the dust then, even after my skin has been destroyed, nevertheless, in my own flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him. My own eyes will see him and not as a stranger. Job, through the eyes of faith, saw the resurrection of his Savior. And in that resurrection, his own and his children's, and Job praised the name of the Lord. The widow of Zarephath, she saw a resurrection too, the resurrection of her son, and she praised the name of the Lord. So you know on some Sundays, you listen to the first lesson, and then like three minutes later, you listen to the gospel, and on some Sundays, it's kind of challenging to see the thematic connection. And don't feel bad, by the way, if that ever happens to you. You're like, what did that have to do with that? Because some Sundays, it is really tricky to see how they click together. This is not one of those Sundays. If you missed the connection between the first lesson and the gospel today, you were clearly asleep or just not paying attention at all. Because a, a little child could listen to these two stories and draw all these clear lines between the two stories, right? In both stories, you have a widow. In both stories, you have her son dying. In both stories... Her son comes back to life. And in both stories, there's this happy reunion between the mom and the son who she thought was gone forever, right? Tons of lines between the two sections of Scripture. However, there is one huge difference between the two stories. When Elijah raises the son of the widow of Zarephath, he has to call on the name of the Lord, the God of life, in order to do it. When Jesus raises the son of the widow of Nain, he does it directly. He does it himself. He doesn't have to call on the name of the Lord to do it because Jesus himself is the Lord of life, who gives life even to the dead. 
It is not an accident at all that St. Luke phrased it exactly this way. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not cry. Jesus is Yahweh. He is the great I am who is the God of life. So Jesus himself gives life to that young man. And then the name of the Lord is praised. Jesus' own name. The name of the Lord is praised all over the Judean countryside. We hear these two stories and all we can do is imagine the joy and the happiness of those mothers and sons who were reunited when they thought they had been separated forever. There is no way to be able to relate to how joyful and happy they must have been at their reunions because none of us have ever experienced anything quite like that. But we are going to experience something even better than that. We are going to experience the resurrection of all believers in Jesus on the last day, a glorious resurrection that will last forever. Now, like Job, we don't get to see a resurrection with our own two eyes. We have to see it in our soul through the eyes of faith. But we say together with Job, we know that our Redeemer lives. And that in the end, when it's all over, he will stand over the dust of the earth. And because my Redeemer lives, even if my skin has been destroyed by flesh, I am going to see him with my own two physical eyes on that day. And I'm not going to see him as a stranger. I will see him as my Lord of life, whom I trusted, whom I loved. Oh, you have Elijah stretching himself out over this boy three times. And I, I wonder why, why in particular three times. Triune God is the answer. And he stretches himself out over this boy three times, calls on the name of the Lord, and he gets a resurrection. And let's be optimistic. Let's say this was a very small boy, and let's say his mother was still quite young, and then they both lived to very old ages. So let's give them 70 years together, life in this world, right? The son of the widow of Nain seems to be a little bit older. Jesus calls him a young man. But let's be optimistic again. Let's say he and his mother got another 40 or 50 years of life together in this world after his resurrection. But in both cases, those resurrections came to an end. They were both temporary resurrections. But the resurrection that Jesus gives to his people on the last day is going to last forever because Jesus came to give life not just to the son of a widow outside the gates of Nain, but he came to give life that lasts forever for all of his people. Jesus is the Lord of compassion. And he came in compassion. He felt sorry for us miserable sinners, and he came to help us. As we had no chance of achieving the holiness that you need to live with our Heavenly Father. So Jesus came to us miserable sinners, and he gave us that holiness in his perfect life. Jesus is the Lord, the God of grace. Totally undeserved love, he went to the cross and took the punishment for all our sins. And Jesus is the Lord who is life. So he came for all people to rise, to conquer death on Easter and to give them a resurrection in the power of his own. Because of what Jesus has done, everyone who believes in him on the last day will see their Redeemer with their own two eyes. And on that day, Jesus is going to give mothers back to sons again. Lots of sons back to lots of mothers.
And on that day, Jesus is going to give daughters back to fathers. Lots of daughters back to lots of fathers. And he's going to give friends back to friends. And he's going to give siblings back to siblings. But he's not going to give them back to each other just for another 50 years of life here in this world. He's going to give them life together forever with each other, with him, in the glory of heaven. And here's the really amazing thing about it. He's going to give people back to each other who were never together in the first place in this world. You're going to be together with people that you never crossed paths with in this life, people you never met before, because Jesus is going to give the entire Holy Christian Church back to each other. Everyone who believes in him will get life with him and with each other and life that never ends. So, when physical death comes to a believer, there's two basic approaches that a Christian can take to it. One is that you can act like the widow of Zarephath before her son's resurrection. You can act like it's the permanent end of everything. Like you should blame God. Maybe God is punishing you for something somehow or somebody else in your family. It's very sad when it happens, but you do see Christians, people who know better, sometimes reacting that way when death comes to a believer. They act like God must be punishing somebody or God made some kind of mistake or they at least imply it, saying things like, oh, she's gone too soon or she's gone before her time. And they act like death is just the worst thing that could possibly happen to a believer in Jesus. We have to remember the Lord of life has come to us in this world. He has come to us with compassion to give us the righteousness we need to enter the kingdom of heaven. He has come in grace that carried him to the cross to die for all of our sins. He has come in life to rise for us and give us a resurrection of his own. So when death comes to a believer, it's not the end, not even for the, the body of that believer. It's nothing to blame God for. It's not all or even mostly bad, and it's, it's never God's mistake. It's a blessing, even though it does hurt and it separates people for a little while. A believer lives. Even when they die, their bodies will rise too. So let the name of the Lord be praised. Be like Job. Be like the widows after the resurrections of their sons. And praise the name of the Lord. His name is compassion. His name is grace. His name is life forever for all who believe. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen.